Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska, and we welcome you to our Wednesday night Bible class. We are podcasting a Bible class every Wednesday night and every Sunday morning for those who are not able to be with us at the building here at Sunny Slope Church of Christ, and also for those who are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world. We're thankful that we have this ability through the technology of the internet to be able to spread God's, God's word on such a far-reaching basis. And our prayer is that as you're listening to us, that you're learning from God's word and that your faith is growing thereby, because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. Now, we want to encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can. You know people in your life who need to get into God's word, they need to grow in their faith. Help them by getting them into God's Word through these studies. You can share through Facebook friends, text messages, maybe other technological means. But help those members of your family. Share with them, your work associates, your neighbors, your friends, with literally everybody you can. What a great blessing for somebody to get their life turned around because you got them into God's Word by sharing these studies with them and they kept going with it and ultimately ended up in heaven. Well, while that's a great blessing for them, it'll also be a great blessing for you. We also encourage you to encourage everybody you know to get to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and tell them to scroll down the home page to the podcast button, click on that, and sign up for our podcasting. Now, that's free. Use of our website is free. Our podcasting, all of it is free. It always will be free. As we keep saying, we're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. When someone signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smart device, their smartphone, computer, laptop, pad, tablet, whichever one they choose, automatically they will receive our Wednesday night Bible class, our Sunday morning Bible class, plus all of our sermons, and they are now posted in video format as well as audio format. They'll also receive a great daily short Bible study called Today's Bible Class. It's only about 13 minutes every day. And then they'll receive our, our, week, our daily radio program, Search the Scriptures, all of that will automatically go to their smart device. It always will, and it will always be free. Now, that while they're in our website at churchofchrist.com, they can also access hundreds of other sermons and radio programs, and they can download and read and study through hundreds of biblically-based and spiritually-focused articles that have to deal with spiritual matters. Well, all of that, again, is available. Tremendous study resource materials for people to learn and grow in their faith and then learn how God wants them to come to him for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ. Help people by sharing. Now, we're going to get back into our study in the book of Exodus. We have been reading through and studying through the, the history of first of mankind, going all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter chapters 2 and 3. And then as God was leading the people there, striving to do so, and then the people fell away, we saw the flood where God destroyed the world and all of humanity with the exception of Noah and his families. 
And then we saw God giving mankind a second chance through the family of Noah. And it was not long until mankind again was turning away from God, largely. And so we saw God begin with one particular individual and his wife, Abraham and Sarah. At that time, they were known as Abram and Sarai. And through their bloodline, God began to develop what now we come to understand as the nation of Israel. And ultimately, it would be through their bloodline. Isaac, Jacob, and then the, the 12 sons of Jacob. And we saw how in the land of Egypt, where they had been given special, favored kind of section of that land, they grew into a mighty nation numerically. But at, toward the end of their tenure there, and it lasted about 400 years or so, they were made slaves by the current Pharaoh of that day. Then God, through Moses and Aaron, led them out of Egypt, out of that bondage, and to the, into the wilderness and to ultimately Mount Sinai, wherein God began to give them his spiritual law, and that spiritual law would govern their physical lives as well, not just their spiritual beliefs, but their physical lives as well. And then he would lead them from there to the promised land, the land that he had promised going all the way back to Abraham that God had promised him through Abraham's descendants. And so now God was going to lead them, his people, the people of Israel, to that promised land and give it to them. Well, interesting. Now we are at the point, if you want to look at it as far as the setting, we're at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. And God begins giving Israel the law there, the spiritual law, which would come to be known as the Old Testament law of Moses. And this would be their spiritual law to guide them in their lives individually, but also as a nation. Now, what we've been looking through, the, through the first uh, 11 verses of chapter 20 in the book of Exodus, is the Ten Commandments, as they, were, as they were originally given by God to Moses, and then through Moses to the people of Israel. We have looked at those one by one. We paid some attention last time to verse 12, and that would have been the fifth commandment where Moses, or God told Moses to instruct the people, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. We noted that in Ephesians chapter 6, this commandment was repeated by, by Paul, and of course, of course Paul was simply writing by inspiration or guidance from God through the Holy Spirit to write God's very word, God's will down, and Paul was communicating this to the church at Ephesus. So it's part of Christianity today, and he referred to that, that commandment as the first commandment with promise. Now, when we looked at how it's written in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, God says, you honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. 
And so he's saying, you need to keep this basic principle of morality and respect and reverence toward your parents. You need to keep that in mind and you need to keep that in focus and you need to to respect them and honor them, be obedient to them as long as they are leading you in the ways of God so that your days in the land, this promised land, will be prolonged. And so there's a promise that goes with that. Now, when you look at how it is written in, Genesis, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul says this is the first commandment with promise, it's adjusted. It's not, the promise is not laid out as so that your days will be long in the promised land, which God has given you, but rather that your days may be long upon the earth. And so physical longevity is tied by God and through Paul's writing there to properly keeping this commandment, honoring your father and your mother. Well, we went into quite a bit of detail talking about how children need to respect their parents. And right now we're living in a culture where that's not the norm necessarily, or it's not, maybe I should say it's not a natural happening on the part of children toward their parents. There's a great deal of disrespect shown by many children toward their parents. But also we talked about how parents have a very serious responsibility to raise their children in the ways of God. And unfortunately, that principle, that discipline, that point of dedication in parenthood has largely fallen by the wayside in a great many cases across our land today. Uh, we've got broken homes. We've got increasing numbers of single parent homes. We've got parents who are horrible examples before their children, very disrespectful of God and also of their own children. And they'll take care of them properly. They're caught up in all kinds of worldly, sinful practices themselves. And so in that particular state of affairs, how could they possibly lead their children to be righteous and to live godly lives before their creator? Well, unfortunately, the home, the nuclear home, that is mom, dad, and the kids, as God designed it to be, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, that has more and more fallen by the wayside in our culture, in our country today. And it is not only to our detriment, if it keeps going and we don't turn it around as a culture, then it will probably ultimately lead to our destruction as a nation. Now, that's not preacher talk. That's, simple, that's simply the fact of the matter from a cultural and societal point of view. Well, God knows better than we know. And so when he gives us instructions, when he has commandments written down for us, then we need to pay attention to those because he is all-knowing and all-wise, and we struggle to keep up, basically. He knows a whole lot better than we do, and we need to follow his teachings, his will, his guideline for our lives. If we want to live the best life that we can live in this earth, with the greatest ultimate reward, and that is eternal life with him in heaven. Well, we pick up with the last five of the Ten Commandments, the original Ten Commandments, in verse 13. 
These last five, at least the first four of them, are written in rather rapid succession, and the last one, the Tenth Commandment, goes into greater detail. Those next four, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Interesting. Again, one, two, three, four in rapid succession. We would look at some of these and we would say, well, sure, they're really no-brainers. You don't commit you don't commit murder. You don't steal. Now, the don't commit adultery part is not nearly as much of a natural agreement point in our culture today as it was for great many generations. And the idea of not bearing false witness against your neighbor, well, most people would say, well, yeah, that's, that's true. You, you shouldn't lie. You shouldn't lie about other people. You shouldn't lie to other people. But there's a lot of lying being done, isn't there? It seems to be, again, a, a, a part of our culture. In fact, uh, in, our, in our, our halls of government across the land, there's a great deal of lying going on by our leaders themselves. And some people would say, well, that, that's just too harsh a word. You shouldn't be, well, a lot of them simply lie. And certainly a lot of what we might call subterfuge or, or trying to conceal things in very descriptive or, or you know, kind of language that, that kind of hides what they, what they really believe They'll kind of beat around the bush and all of that. It's, it's you know, it, it's deceptive language. And that's unfortunate because these are supposed to be the civil government leaders of our land. I pray that God will guide our leaders in his will. And I pray that he will guide them to see his will as his will and that he will defeat them in any evil in which they might be engaged or contemplating. And unfortunately, there is tremendous evil and wickedness that takes place in the halls of government in our land. Now, I'm not saying everybody and everything that's done, but I'm saying there's a whole lot of it that goes on, and that hurts us as a nation and as a culture and as a people. God's way is always the best way. Even sometimes when it seems like it's really hard, it would be easier to tell a lie, or it would be easier to cheat in some way. God's way is always the best way. And we need to recognize that sometimes the best way may be hard in the initial moment, but down the road, it's a whole lot better because we don't have to explain away or deal with the consequences of doing things that we shouldn't do, not following God's will. Now, that's true not only in government circles, it's true in our personal lives. And we need to recognize that, and we need to live by it. Now, I want to compare these last five commandments as they're stated here in Exodus chapter 20, verses 13 through 17, I want to compare those to what we read along the same lines generally in New Testament scripture applying to Christianity. Now, when we look at the first one, you shall not murder, you shall not murder. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, and I want us to read a couple of verses there. 
Romans 13 and verses 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul wrote, and this is part of Christian teaching and doctrine. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, certainly, if we love somebody, we're not going to murder them. And murder is the result of a lack of love, basically, but it's also a product of animosity, anger, hatred, and maybe some other things that play into our thinking. And some of that will come out in a few moments. So owe no one anything except to love one another. What did Paul the Apostle write in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the last verse? He said, faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Well, love covers a multitude of sins also, doesn't it? Now, that does not mean if we simply have this warm, fuzzy feeling in our heart that we can sin and get away with it. That's not what it's talking about. But if we truly love someone, then we care about that person's soul, about their eternal outlook. But also, if we truly love, then we're going to love God, who loved us first and still loves us and blesses us in so many ways. So owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. If this particular principle of love were to prevail, it would do away with murder, wouldn't it? And what is that sixth commandment there? You shall not murder. He goes on here, the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 13, verse 9, he says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. Well, these are the last five of the original Ten Commandments, aren't they? And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if we, again, if we have the proper love in our hearts and we live that love, that's going to eliminate murder. But it's also going to eliminate those other commandments that are among those last five in the original Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and that Paul brings out here in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. If we have that love and we let it prevail, then we're not going to steal from somebody else. We're not going to tell lies or bear false witness against others. We're not going to covet or be envious and greedy over something that somebody else has. No, we're going to treat people right because love prevails. But we look also in coming back to, to Exodus chapter 20, we look again, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Well, you shall not commit adultery. We look at Matthew chapter 5, and I want us to read verse 27. We have become so careless 
and so surface level in our marital commitment in our culture today. In the first place, it just doesn't exist within the minds and lives of a great many people in our country today. They might say, well, what do you mean it doesn't exist? They don't get married. They, they live together outside of marriage. They raise children, but they won't get married. Now, the reason they won't get married is because they're not committed to each other. Now, they can make all kinds of peripheral excuses. Well, no, we don't need to, to have a piece of paper to show that we're committed. Well, okay, that's legal, though. And it's also because it's legal, it's part of God's law and God's requirement. So if you're really committed, why don't you go ahead and have that legal piece of paper called a marriage license? Why don't you go ahead and make that legally correct and not only legally correct in the eyes of the law of the land, but also morally correct and spiritually correct in the eyes of God. Well, I don't, yet you're not committed. You're not really committed. You have left yourself that opening as an out in case you become dissatisfied with one another or you just become dissatisfied with the relationship. Or you see somebody else who all of a sudden catches your eye and <laughs> you're more attracted to them. So you don't have to go through all the legal steps of getting a divorce. Legally, you just leave that person and go to somebody else. Or just leave that person and get out on your own altogether. So the marriage commitment is not there for a whole lot of people. And I'm talking about a huge percentage of our population today. But even for those who are married, they make that commitment and they get married legally. Still, for a huge percentage of them, the marriage commitment is very weak. Because what does that verse say? You shall not commit adultery? No, they commit adultery. They cheat on their spouse. And in a lot of marriages, it's both spouses cheat on their spouse. They cheat on each other. Now, what did Jesus say? How sacred is the marriage commitment supposed to be in God's eyes? In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 24, 27, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. Well, yeah, going all the way back, as we said, to Exodus chapter 20 part of the original Ten Commandments. Jesus goes on and says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now you understand what he's saying there? To lust after that woman, thinking, developing the thought process in your mind, I would really like to be able to have sexual relations with her or him, the part of a woman toward a man, Jesus said, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Now someone says, well, then is it any worse to go ahead and do the physical act? Yes, because when it's in your heart only, it's a private matter. It's between you and God. When you go ahead and commit the physical act, now you have brought another person and probably 
a number of other people into your sin. Because now it's that person you're committing adultery with, you're sinning with that person. Now that person is responsible for their sin too, but you now it's a public thing. And probably there are other people related to that individual and also to your marriage relationship, like children, parents, other family members, friends, who are going to be affected by your now public sin of adultery. You see, there are consequences that are more far-reaching than people realize a lot of times and more far-reaching than they, they like to admit. When we look in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3, here the Apostle Paul talks about that other commandment, and that is covetousness, greed, envy. I want something that I don't have. And particularly as it is laid out in the original Ten Commandments, coveting for something that your neighbor has, someone you know. They have something that you don't have, and you want that. You may be resentful that they have it and you don't. And here Paul says in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 5, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not even be named among you as is, as is fitting for the saints. He's saying that, that something should not even enter our minds. Should not enter our minds. Now, we look at Galatians chapter 5, and one of the most, most detailed lists of sinfulness that will keep a person out of heaven that the Apostle Paul writes down, and he writes down a number of them, begins in verse 19 of Galatians chapter 5, Paul says the works of the flesh are evident, which are, very first one, adultery, fornication, which is the broader umbrella of sexual immorality under which adultery is found, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, and that is connected to covetousness. Murders, well, we've talked about that. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like. So this is just another representative list of the sinful practices that will keep a person out of heaven. And Paul goes on and he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you before in time past, that those who, who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is the opposite of such sinful lifestyles? Beginning in verse 22. Let the fruit of the Spirit, or but the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. We need to pay attention to sinful matters that the devil uses all around us to try to tempt us into entering into those sinful practices ourselves. He knows our weaknesses. 
and he knows how to hammer at us with those temptations. So when we come back to the original Ten Commandments, those last five, well, we understand you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. I want us to come back and, and look at that, that uh, eighth one there. You shall not steal. And we'll look at these last two beyond that as well. We need to take these commandments to heart. And we need to apply them properly to our lives. Not just because they're back there as part of the Old Testament law of Moses. We don't live under that law today, spiritually. But because we find them in the New Testament in terms of God's spiritual law of Christianity. Think ahead. Thou shalt not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet what your neighbor has. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word to guide us in clarity in our physical lives and our spiritual lives before you. Help us to understand your will for our lives because it is the best way for us to live with the greatest blessing and the greatest hope, being able to look forward to eternal life with you in heaven. Help people to see this all over the world, Father, and to embrace it and come to you for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and your Son. We pray for souls, Father. We pray for our souls. Help us to live by your teachings. Please, Father, we pray at this time for your mercy. Please forgive us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.